Welcome to the Yogi Therapist Podcast, where we talk all things mental health, personal growth, and spiritual development. I'm your host, Rachel, a psychotherapist and yoga teacher based in Sydney. This is your space to gain new insights and tools so that you can live a life that feels aligned and meaningful. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Yogi Therapist Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode. I am joined with such an incredibly powerful woman, an incredibly powerful human being, and I think that she really has something worth sharing and worth being heard. So today I am joined by the beautiful Danica Venus. Um, Danny is an uh, artist. She's a yoga teacher. She is a physical and mental health provider. Um, she's a podcaster. She has her own podcast called Cosmic Conduits. So she kind of got got all the bases covered here, girl. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. I'm genuinely so honored. You are one of those very I guess rare people for me that I think when I met you and you came to class, immediately I liked you. I knew that you were cool. You were nice. But then once we really started to talk, I was like, oh, I know this girl from somewhere. Like this is like an old soul. She's She's been here before. I think I've known her before. I just immediately felt this like sense of like, oh, it's nice to see you again. Yeah. Energy from you. That was what was on my end. You may have some had something totally different. Like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> um, no, but I've just always I've always been so drawn to you. And I think once I started to speak to you, it made sense why I had that that feeling about you. I love this. And on my end, it was like, who the fuck is this bitch? But it's like, who yeah. the fuck <laughs> is this bitch? I like it. I like it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That's so sweet. Um so what I wanted to bring uh, Danny on today for was to talk about her experience with grief. Um, I think she is on the journey or in in a deep season of grief. And what I think is worth sharing is her story of how she's navigating it and how she's dancing with it. And what I think um, is most powerful and most um, potent is your capacity to really be in this season fully and completely. And I think it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, so that's where I'd like to start. I'd like to start with what happened and who you lost that moved you into this season. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me to share this story. It does help me to share. It helps me so much because it also gives me an insight into where I'm at when I move it out of the system. Um, so it's been a little while since I've kind of sat down and spoken through the whole story. So bear with me. Mm. Um, the beginning of the year and for my whole life, I've been living with mum and dad at home, super close to both of them. We have a really, really beautiful relationship and synergy and respect for one another um, in many different ways. I'm very, I was very close to both of them. And on a particular weekend in April, I went to stay at my partner's house, um, which is very normal. So I said goodbye to my mom and my dad. And it's, you know, 
it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows at that point in time. Um, I had been living, you know, lived with my parents my whole life and my dad has had his fair share of mental health um, related issues. He's been fighting a long battle with his mental health for a very, very long time. And so this was a theme that was on and off throughout my life. I've had my own mental health related issues that have kind of weaved in and out of our relationship um, and influenced that. And so we'd go through these periods of time where he would dip in and out of his stuff. And depending on where I was at in my life and on my journey of awareness and understanding, um, I would have various different ways of navigating him and his space. And that particular weekend, um, I knew that he was in his stuff and I knew that he was in a very delicate space and he wasn't in a, in a great space. Mm-hmm. And I think I was quite tired within myself and I tried on the whole just give him space. He'll come around, just let him be. Yeah. Um, but I knew in my heart that he was not in a good space. So it was a Sunday afternoon and I was driving to Jesse's house, my partner, and we were talking on the phone actually really interestingly. Um, we were strategizing on how to pull dad out of this little rut that he was in. Um, mm-hmm. We, <laughs> just going to be radically honest, like we were like, I think it's time to sit down and smoke a joint with him. Like this is something we've always wanted to do. I know he's open. If he'd do it with anyone who'd do it with us, like it's time. He needs this. It's just going to pull him out of wherever he is at. Like he needs some joy. He needs some laughter. Um, Had that conversation, went to Jesse's house, um, spent the evening with him and then yeah, we were podcasting in the evening and this was around, you know, we started at nine. So making our way through 10 o'clock, 1030, I started to feel really off within myself mm-hmm. and I couldn't really place it, but I just shut down. Like we have this recording still. I just shut down and Jesse's like, you're not going to come back to me, are you? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but no. Um, yeah, just emotionally and mentally tapped out and was like, I'm just tired. I think I'm going to go to bed. And the two of us fell asleep. And so we slept and we woke up to a knocking at the door and kind of like desperate ringing on the doorbell. And it happened a few times. And Jesse's like, yo, like someone's at the door. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Looked at the time. It's about three in the morning Mm. and just immediately had this really rough feeling in my gut. So Jesse goes, I'm going to go see who it is. And I go, I'm coming with you. Pulled on a jumper, went downstairs, opened the door. And there was a police officer standing standing at the door. Mm. And he says, I'm so sorry to disturb you at this hour. I'm actually looking for Danica, me. And I said, yes, that's me. And it's amazing how much can run through your mind in the span of like 10 seconds, how many scenarios can play out, why he's here, what's happened. Um, And the last thing I expected him to say in that moment was that I'm very sorry to inform you, but your dad has passed away. Mm. And in that moment within my being, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he had taken his own life. Mm. Yeah. And the police officer never really told me that, but in that moment I just I just kept saying, how do you do it? How do you do it? He's like, I can't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the details, but you need to get home and, you know, you're going, the coroner's going to come over and he's going to do this and this. And he starts like blasting me all this information. I'm like, I'm sorry. I need to go. I need to go. And so – that kicked off just this really like I look back and it's like a a series of scenes from a horror movie that are just kind of like 
super choppy and somehow Jesse and I made it into the car and he's driving mm-hmm. us home and all I'm doing on this car ride home is breathing. Mm-hmm. Deep breaths because my body is shutting down. My blood pressure is dropping. I'm seeing black spots in my eyes and I'm like, I need to, I need to stay with it. I need to, I need to get home. Um, it's a 45 minute drive home between Jesse's and mine and somehow we made it home mm. and um, came home to a house full of my, my closest neighbours and closest family members just all sitting in a circle around my mum. And I don't really, I don't remember much from there, just remember jumping on the couch and that just begun <laughs> the next sort of um yeah, what has been the last six months of my life. Mm, I can imagine that, you know, you look back on that and you left that house as one person and in one season and in a certain stage of your life and the next time you walked back into it, nothing was the same. What did that next season look like for you? And I'm sure that it probably yeah. went through multiple seasons in a day, in a week, you know, and kind of jump back and forth. But um, what happened from there for you? Yeah, I'm still, I, I really want to make clear that I'm still very much in it. Like Absolutely. I'm really, really yep. still writing it out. So I have as much clarity as I can have while still being, we're just, we've just passed six months since mm-hmm. it all went down. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so the feeling, there's just like a signature feeling change from the moment that I found out what happened where this like coldness ran through my body and it emanated outwards from my gut. And this kind of strange coldness and this foreign, like really deep somatic emotional process became the signature tone of my life for the next, Mm. say, three to four months. And um, what it feels like when I really still feel into it is that there's just this one, that pinnacle event that occurred that sent the structure of my life just shattered and it sent it all up into the air. And there's like this space of plasticity and malleability and like raw chaos energy that I just yeah, I was thrust into like the entire foundation and fabric of my world fundamentally crumbled and shifted because um, it's my dad, you know, it's my dad, like that's that's half of me. And there are so, so many energetic bonds in that relationship and that runs so deep and that's so much of who I am. Mm. And, yeah. In that absence, there's just this fundamental energy of change. And I could feel as I navigated the next few days and weeks and months that there are so many ways that my life have changed and are going to continue to change as things we still, as we kind of still navigate the space that we're in. And if I can't be conscious with the process of grieving and feeling and sitting with it and moving through it, if I can't be conscious in that process, then this space of like malleability that I'm now in is going to set in and 
there's there's the potential for some really icky icky pathways to form, right? Like patterns of dissociation and just compensation and um you know, I could I could feel how easy it would be to just lean into something like substance substance abuse or shutting down my heart and not communicating with others and just internally bottling it all up and staying in the space that I'm in and dissociating and disconnecting from what I love, my creative practices and my movement practices and the people that I love and the places that I love going and the things that I love doing. It would be so easy to pull away from all of that. Um, And it would also be easy to lean into this stuff that's super helpful and then dissociate from the grief and the pain. Yep. Yep, absolutely. But there's this strange middle ground of like instantly the first thing was like, put it all away, slow down and sit with it. Wow. And I've I've been moving like a little slug <laughs> through this season of my life as things little tiny piece by piece start mm-hmm. to thread themselves together in a form that I do not recognize, but I'm coming to see little bit by little bit. And as much as I'm pulled to like, oh, I have energy now, I can do this and that, and I really want to get back into what I was motivated to do and my goals and my ambitions and my hobbies, there's still this like, but slow down Mm. and take a breath and Mm. don't rush and remember that we're still with it. So, yeah, that's that's what it feels like at this point in time. Wow. it's You described that so eloquently of – when your dad died, a part of you and life as you knew it died as well. And in that space of chaos and not knowing and emotional and probably physical limbo, there were so many parts that were available to you as there are available to us all the time. There's the very understandable path of avoiding, of contracting, of shutting down, of um, of withdrawing, of not feeling it. And that makes total sense. And I, I don't want to, um, you know, it, it makes sense that a lot of people go there and stay there because the alternative is to feel some horrendous things and numbing yourself out and blocking it out makes a lot of sense. The other path, which I think you brought up, which was absolutely true, is is another way of bypassing the pain, which is I will, I guess, convince myself on one level that I'm dealing with it, but really what I'm doing is trying to get um, past it rather than go through it. And then there's this third option, which is arguably the hardest option, which is to feel it which is to, like you said, slow down and just be in it. And I'm, I'm so impressed by that tendency that you had to turn towards and lean in. And I'm wondering where it is that that proclivity came from, because that's not the natural go-to for most people. It's our human nature to move towards pleasure and away from pain. It's so, it's so complex. It's so complex. And I'm, I do want to say that like, 
that the sort of like numbing out dissociating space is such a safe space when you're grieving. So I never want to make it out like I don't sit in that space too. Like it's really, it feels really, really good to forget for a little while. And sometimes you need to be in that as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so a lot, I I can't, I can be the kind of person or I have in the past been the kind of person who doesn't want to feel it, who doesn't have the, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to say anything like that. It's just, yeah, I have, I, I can, I can, or I have had the tendency to be emotionally avoidant, <laughs> but I have, I'm also the kind of person who, as soon as something goes down in my life, um, I align with you very much in this philosophy. You shared it in your first episode in that sort of self-introductory episode, which is this, I know that this is not happening to me. It's happening for me. Mm. So what is the lesson? I know that the quicker I learn it, the more gracefully I can move through this. Mm-hmm. Um, I say gracefully, quote unquote, because it, grace can be messy and icky as well. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Um, And time and time again, I have learned many lessons around emotional processing that involve, (sighs) I have to, I have to stop running from this. I have to look Mm -hmm. at this. I have to feel it and I have to be with it and I have to understand and hold compassion towards myself and the person involved and I have to forgive myself. And time and time again, I have not met myself in that space Mm -hmm. and I have not been able to forgive myself and not been able to really deeply understand myself or the other people involved in the situation. And so I've had these kind of karmic patterns play out in my life. And so sitting with this situation, my dad taking his own life and sitting with everything that comes up, like the layers and layers of complexity surrounding losing someone by suicide are inherent to the situation. But then on top of that, each and every case is so vastly different. And then all of this stuff comes up. Like you sit there and you think about every conversation that you ever had. And those last moments just run through your mind over and over what I could have done differently, what I wish I would have done. Mm. Um, And I feel like this is just another way to learn those lessons and to self-reflect and to make sure that I, if I ever were to lose someone in my life, which, you know, loss is, loss is inherent to the human experience. But the next time I lose somebody, no matter under which circumstances they are, how can I make sure that my, how can I sure it, make sure it plays out differently? How can I make sure that I feel differently towards the situation? How can I make sure that I don't feel all this anguish and guilt and whatever it is? And, you know, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't control that, but like, that's one perspective of it. Another one is that it's hard to put words to, let me feel into this for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that philosophy. It's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Like everything that I need to learn, to understand, to feel, to heal my way through comes from this situation. Mm. This is, I keep seeing it as an initiation. This is an initiation into the person that I am growing my way into. 
And if I want to continue to be the best version of myself, mm-hmm. I need to sit and feel through all of it. I need to feel through even those bits and pieces of me that feel like, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't say that. I wish I would have played that out differently. Just looking at those like really catastrophic thoughts and going to those really deep, dark spaces that I feel like I can't come back from mm-hmm. because that is where the best version of me lies. It's the it's the parts of me that I can breathe my way through and feel my way through and move my way through and cry my way through and express my way through and trust in all this chaos, trust that this is what's going to lead me to mm-hmm. whatever it is that I want to achieve and receive and become. Does that make sense? makes perfect sense. Okay. It makes amazing sense. And what I'm hearing in that is radical acceptance. Um, I think on my episode with Kayla, I was talking about this place that I think is helpful for everyone to get to, which is an understanding and an acceptance and a place of consent that bad things are going to happen, that it's not optional. It's not just something that we will have to learn to tolerate, but something that we can get good at, which is exactly what you're saying. And there's what I, what I also heard was this um, very natural process that, that often happens around sudden death, which is the per- the people that are left behind go into detective mode and they try and look at everything that happened prior. How can I put the pieces together? It's like, you know, a detective with the, the string on the board trying to piece it all together to make sense of it yeah. because we could feel nonsensical, like the fabric of life as you know it is broken. I need to know what happened. I need to know what went wrong in order to potentially stop it from happening again or to know my role in it, to be able to take accountability, to be able to um, know what I need to do to move forward. And it's one of those um, very human things that we do, which is, you know, two things that are inevitable in life right? Death and tax. (laughs) Death, like you said, it is inherent to the human condition. We don't get out of here alive. It is like the one given, yet it still seems to shock us every single time it happens. Yeah. I, um, I had this, this image as you were speaking. Um, and it reminds me of, um, the philosophy of Taoism, which is, you know, the philosophy there is to be able to move with life rather than against it. Mm-hmm. And I, I had this image of, you know, you floating down a stream and, you know, life is taking you in a certain direction as it takes all of us. And something happened and there was a path that you were being forced to go down, like a really rocky one with lots of, you know, lots of sharp rocks and intense water currents. And, you could have very easily just seen a rock on the shore and, and kind of clung onto it and be like, I'm not going down there. I am not doing it. Yet there was this acceptance that this is the path that you need to go down and that life is drawing you down this path and holding you as you move down this path. Um, but it takes such an immense amount of 
bravery and courage and emotional fortitude and a maturity to voluntarily accept that. Yeah. You know, and this is not to shame people that don't, to say that they're less brave, to say that they're less, you know, grief is such an individual journey and your reaction to it makes sense. Yep. And some people need to be, you know, to shut down and go inward for five years and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. That's your process. Um, and I find it, I'm so moved by your willingness to step on this path as soon as it was shown to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I, I also try to see how everything in life weaves into everything else. There's some sort of divine pattern that's been weaved below the surface and I end up where I end up for a reason and I go through what I go through for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so earlier in my life, like I've I've moved through some heavy shit and had to develop um, tools and practices and mm-hmm. belief systems and values that support heaviness earlier in my life. Like, um, you know, dad's lengthy mental health battle, I've definitely related to in many different ways because I've had my own lengthy mental health battle. It's what led me to yoga. It's what led me to all of the physical and mental health work that I do and have done. Mm-hmm. And so I developed so many beautiful tools and practices that got me out of my own deep, dark hole. And then from that point forward, moving through the beautiful yoga practice that we have and working with mental health to various different capacities. And even I've been reflecting on recently, um, like a couple of years ago, um, I was working with, um, I was working in youth mental health, supporting a group of young kids who had gone through bereavement by suicide. They've lost um, a a friend and one girl's sister who took her own life in the same way that my dad did. And so I'm like, wow, like I've sat in this space before. I've Mm -hmm. sat in this space. I've sat with these themes to various different capacities. I've had to develop conversational tools and practices and the compassion, the awareness and the ability to sit and listen and feel like I've yeah, it it just somehow feels like this is all weaved together. Yeah. And so I was able to show up to this event like, you know what? Shit, I I do have I I think I've got this. Wow. Like, I think I've got this as much as it's and like there are moments, there are moments even now when I drop into it mm-hmm. and the magnitude of the pain is so vast that I'm squirming. I'm squirming and I don't, and I'm like, this time I won't come out of it. This time I won't come out of it. But I will say like to everybody, to anybody listening who feels like they've been to that space or, who, you know, inevitably will lose someone that brings you to that space because you love them so dearly. Like you actually do get a little tiny bit better at moving through that. You do start to remember that there is light on the other side of that dark tunnel. And so I've really like learned to live for and value the moments of joy and pleasure and connection and intimacy Mm -hmm. and laughter, like, holy shit, the laughter. Some, you know, early on um, during the grieving process, because we've just had like two to three weeks where we're just inundated by 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of family members just coming in and out of the house. And so you get to see all of these beautiful people that you love and that you haven't seen in a long time. And so in amongst this catastrophic grief, you just have these moments of laughter. Someone cracks a joke or someone does something silly. And all of a sudden the entire house is like uproaring in laughter. And the more peripheral relatives and friends are kind of like, what the hell's going on? Have they lost it? They're doing, why are they laughing? We're grieving. This is rude. This is inappropriate. But those moments I learned to live for. And so that helps. That really, really helps. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love your language around this process being an initiation because what I think is inherent to that concept is this idea that once you step through those doors or once you get over that line, you're no longer going to be in the same place with the same capacities and as the same person. And I think there's something about like exactly like you said, when we go through these difficult times, it expands our capacity that it's not like we get stuck there. And sometimes sometimes we do, but we can get out when we when we're in the emotion but once we felt the magnitude of emotion that emotion and once we really felt its edges we can expand to meet that and hold that you know i remember going through an experience of grief that was not to the same extent as yours but um i had this feeling of there's not enough me to hold this intensity of emotions this will overwhelm me yeah. And the, I guess, intuitive message that kind of came through for me is, yeah, the current version of you can't hold this, but there is a version of you that can. Mm. And that version of you will arise if you call on her and if you bring it forward. And I love that 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 idea of initiation, which is this grief, these feelings, the pain, the anguish, I love that word, um, the sadness is calling forth a new version of yourself. Mm. I just love that. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I do subscribe to the belief that the way you feel anything is the way you feel everything. And so when we go to those real deep, dark corners of the grieving process and when that expands, when the grief expands beyond something that you ever thought could, and it really takes you there, I believe that we're enhancing emotional capacity in all directions. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I really think so because if you open to it, if you create space for it, and if you, like you said, evolve to be able to hold and support that, then you have greater emotional capacity in all mm. regards. Then how good are the goods? How high are the mm. highs? Yes. I really yes. believe this, and I and yes. that helps as well. It really helps. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's Brene Brown who says that, unfortunately, we can't selectively numb. We can't choose not to feel the pain and the vulnerability and the sadness, but still really feel the height of joy and connection and love. If you want to feel any of it to its fullest depth, you have to feel all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to touch on, um, I think, I know for myself, I tend to get stuck speaking to people who are in my bubble, (laughs) who use my language. And that's not very helpful for people who are wanting to kind of learn new stuff. And so I want to just make sure that I break things down to make them really accessible for people. When we say to really allow ourselves to feel it, to be in it, to confront it, what does that actually mean? And practically, what did that look or what does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a great, great, great question. Because 
for me personally, to really feel it and sit with it and be with it early on after the loss meant that, you know, every I was with it every moment, every waking moment of my life. I was completely aware of what had happened and what I had lost. It doesn't matter what conversation I was having, what I was eating, what I was doing, what I was moving through. I would say for the first two to three months, it was there. And so for me in that space, it meant taking time away from life to go and sit in the sun, Mm. sit in the garden, on the grass, in the sun, under the flower trees with the bees buzzing around and just sit there because that was enough. Anything Mm. beyond that, feeding myself, interacting with somebody, taking care of myself all felt like too much, but just to be able to sit and soak up the sunshine and hear the sound of the bees and look at the flowers was enough of a process and was such a supportive process. And that Mm. allowed me to be with where I was at, like, ah, this is all I feel I have energy for. And so this is all I shall do in this Mm. moment. And I Mm -hmm. did a little bit of that every single day. Mm. Now, as um, as I'm able to settle more back into my life and I've sort of accepted that this has happened, it's less of a shock and it's not always, it's always there, but it's not fully consciously yeah. present in my mind. It's, it's harder to catch those moments where I really need to sit and grieve and to be with it because life gets stacked on top of it. Mm. And so it's for me, that's why I say for me, I start to I start to dissociate from all emotional expressions and experiences. Mm-hmm. I start to get very heady. I start to want to shy away from deeper conversations. I get mm-hmm. very surface level when interacting with my mom who's also grieving and my partner who's also grieving. Mm-hmm. And in those opportunities, I I I go okay. Here we go. Here we go. There's something. <laughs> There's something that does not want to be met, so it's hiding. Mm. So what really helps is to have that conversation, to mm. have, to get the words out, to send a voice message to one of my closest friends, to sit down and talk to my mom, to check in with her, and then be honest about what what's happening for me. Sometimes you start talking and it all comes out. Um, other times. Yeah, and and beautifully, I've got this little support network of people who guide me gently into the grief. Who, who can see that I'm running, that I'm hiding, that I'm dissociating, and so they they keep gently, gently prodding and prodding and prodding mm-hmm. and chipping away at my outer layers. And in those moments, I have to allow it. I have to. I have to resist my natural inclination to run and hide and no, I don't need this right now and mm-hmm. to just let myself drop into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to catch those moments. It can be hard to catch, but yeah, for this grief in particular, and every grief is so different. Every loss is so different, whether it be the loss of, a, you know, someone you love or a relationship or a season of your life, a job, a part of yourself. All these experiences of grief are so fundamentally different. In this particular experience of grief, for me, which is why I think I value sharing this story so much, I don't feel like I have the capacity at this point to hold it all on my own. So being able to speak to somebody 
is is a huge part of my process. In the past, uh-huh. journaling could have been enough. Meditating could have been enough. But for me now, those tools, while still super supportive, are not cutting it. And so I have to I have to get it out of my system. I have to vocalize it. I have to shine light on it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I go on and on and on about it. I think every bloody podcast, but at the heart of that is this connection and being witnessed in your authentic feelings. And I don't think that we ever get to a point and I don't think we should e- we should ever get to a point where we can just do it all on our own because we're not meant to. Mm-hmm. There's something so deeply wired within us that needs us to share authentically, to have that be seen and held and not fixed. It doesn't mean that I go to this person and they fix me. It's that I say that and it's um, it's acknowledged and it's validated and being able to turn towards a few people that you trust that allow you to be exactly where you are and who you are on that day sounds so gently healing and nourishing and I love this image that you keep speaking of of like bit by bit day by day you know I'm not trying to be you know I'm not trying to do one big journal session or have one conversation and I'm done with it I felt it and it's done it's like maybe I can feel 0.1 percent um softer yeah and I don't think that with grief we're ever done with it it's not you know, it's not like we, you know, we go through the five stages and once we've hit acceptance, great. It's, there's this thing that I now carry for the rest of my life. And my journey of carrying it is going to look very different every day. It's not going to feel as heavy on day, you know, 2000 as it did on day two. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, The other thing that was coming up for me was, um, as you were speaking and you were talking about emotion, um, the word that came up was a movement and not just physical movement. It's like this emotion came up, whether it was, you know, sadness in the form of tears or anger in the form of like a tight throat or whatever that looked like for you, you know, emptiness in, in the pit of your stomach. And when it came up, you gave it permission to move, you know, it's kind of like a dam you know, rather than building a wall and that pressure building up, you just made some holes and you made some space for that energy to be able to move. You spoke, you went and, you know, you went out with nature and just allowed the sun to kind of, I don't know, take it, you can feel it on the skin and let it kind of wash off you. You um, you were able to kind of feel that wave allow it to be there and write it. And then as all emotion does, it passed. Yeah. I have a question. I know that for some people um, it can be difficult to start the grieving process because inherent to it is the idea of acceptance, Mm. accepting that your dad's gone. Because if you're grieving him and you're crying, you have acknowledged that he's no longer here. Mm. Perhaps if I hold the tears back and I don't feel it, then I don't need to address that. What what would you say to um, to anyone that that is avoiding feeling it in order to hold on to this person? Yeah, I can't speak to this from any space of like adeptness. Like I don't feel. Mm-hmm. Like I have, um, yeah, okay. 
what I will share, what I will share is that I've heard and I feel in little, little bits and pieces as well that once we lose somebody, the way that we continue to have a relationship with that person that we have lost is Mm. through our grief. Mm. And that really, really resonated with me. And I say that I can't, I can't say that I can't give that advice from a place of like, yeah, like I feel this, it works because Mm -hmm. I'm still making my way to Mm -hmm. this understanding and I'm still really opening and softening into that. But I really do feel that I I am, I'm the kind of person that you know, I'm radically spiritually open and I have all these, I have a belief system that, you know, we do not end when we die, we carry on in some form, but I still struggle a lot to connect with the person after they pass and to mm. believe that I can stay connected to that person. Mm. But um, yeah, during, I was receiving from a particular practitioner some suicide-specific grief counselling and that's one of the things she did share with me, that you can stay connected to the person you've lost via your grief. And so yeah. I feel that I I do, I do feel that that's a little doorway. That's an opportunity to, in feeling that grief, you're feeling into the connection that you had with them and that you still have with them. And that's a way to call them back into your being, to call them back into your heart and to feel their presence in your life. And then maybe hopefully through that doorway, there is an opportunity to communicate mm-hmm. to speak to be heard to send a message out um that's something i'd like to get better at doing and feeling within myself but yeah, yeah that's what i'd share yeah beautiful the idea that your tears and your sadness actually honor them yeah. it's it's not a letting go of them it's a connecting them and i think what what comes up for me in that is this idea that love will never leave us where it found us that there's no way of actually letting go of someone that meant so much to you. You know, like you speak about these energetic bonds within, with you and your dad, that, you know, that's, that's in your bones, that's in your blood, that's in your soul. That's not something that you can forget. Like you accidentally put it on a back shelf and didn't know it was there for 10 years. And I think, you know, I think people live on through us in small ways, especially parents. You know, I'm, I often think about, you know, I adore my mom. She's like everything to me. And I think about one day I'll have to let her go and that makes me sad and I I don't want to do it. And then I think, you know, when I was growing up, whenever anything bad happened to any one of us kids, one of the first things she did was I'll put the kettle on, I'll make you a Mm -hmm. cup of tea. And now me and my sister, yeah, right. (laughs) Me and my sisters do that. Whenever there's something bad happening, I'll put the kettle on. And in a way, I mean, she's not dead, but in a way she will live on because I'm sure that my kids will do this, you know, that that her love has left a an impact on this world that now lives on even when she's not involved in that present situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I was speaking to someone a few weeks ago and they were talking about their belief in heaven. And I'm similar to you. I'm 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 not sure what happens. I'm my idea at this point in time is that we, you know, the energy that we are kind of returns back to source. I have no idea what that looks like. I'm excited to find out one day, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this person asked me, you know, do you believe in heaven? And I said, no. You know, I grew up quite Christian, and the Christian understanding of heaven, I don't. And 
um, they said, like, how are you okay with that? How are you okay with the idea that you'll never see the people that you love? And um, it reminded me of a piece of advice that I got that was actually unrelated to death. It was, I, I went to this beautiful waterfall hike. And as soon as I got there, I said to someone, oh, we have to come back. And they said, you're already here. Why can't you just be here? Why can't your takeaway, like, why can't this be enough? And I was like, God damn, <laughs> you know, maybe the time that we have with these people, you know, can that be enough? And I, and I think inherent for that is it's never enough. Yeah. It's never enough. But can we make it enough for this lifetime? I think that's that radical acceptance. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm mm. sure that's one thing I'll wrestle with one day. I think it's probably easier to say on this side of grief, but yeah. yeah that's what I hope as well. I think I, I completely agree with what you're sharing. And I do see it that way, like these energetic bonds that like, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change form. So mm. like, I, like I shared, like I think bringing consciousness to the grieving process allows you to choose how that takes form and then you do have the capacity to consciously carry on their essence to embody their best and to see see themselves in yourself and to live in their honor and mm. i that's that's what i have now that's what i have i i really hope to live in his honor and to make mm. him proud through through me right through making myself proud because i know he lives yeah. in me mm. i love that and even the idea that you know your dad's life has has created this love within you, this wisdom within you that's being shared and it's going to enter someone else. And in a way, your dad lives on in people that have heard about him. You yeah. know, whether they whether it gives them an aha moment or a reframe or even just a moment of not feeling alone in their grief, that's your dad. Yeah. Your dad did that. Um, I would love to know how does your dad live on within you in your favorite way? Mm, that's a beautiful question. That's a nice one to feel into. There's a few things that make me smile. My favorite mm -hmm. way. I th I know that my dad was really inherently connected to his inner child, even though he was this man of stature and he was the head of the family and the extended family. And he was a civil engineer and he was a man of status and very well spoken and very fancy, but you put a kid in front of him and he gets mm. down on his hands and knees and he's crawling around and playing around. And he had this mm. childlike joy, um, this curiosity and this um, gorgeous sense of humor. And I think I have, I have that. I have that real connection to my childlike essence that carries with me everywhere I go. And it's this innocence and this purity. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I could feel that in my chest as as mm. um as you spoke. What was your what's your dad's name? Raj. Raj. Yeah. Raj sounds like a wonderful man. Yeah. Um I'm curious on this on this experience of grief, what have been really unhelpful things? Because I know that people tend to seize up around grief. We don't know how to support people. We, you know, all well intended, want to say the right thing, do the right thing, but can get really you know, can actually be quite <laughs> antithetical to the situation. Um, what are some things that you found particularly difficult or frustrating on your journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for asking that 
specific question, there's a mm-hmm. couple of things that immediately spring to mind because it's been a little while now and you really get to see it playing out over and mm-hmm. over. Yeah. Um, one thing that I will say, at least for us and what we've moved through, um, don't not contact a, a grieving person for a prolonged period of time and then let your point first point of call be, I just wanted to give you space. You have mm. probably had so many people around you and you were being inundated with visitors and calls and I just wanted to give you space because we actually went through a long period of time of feeling very, very alone in our yes. grief. Yes. And all this yes. constant bombardment of support and messages and stuff were actually really helpful. And on the days where they weren't, we were able to express that. Mm-hmm. So I think just asking the grieving person, hey, I'm thinking of you, I don't know what to say. Would it help if I was there or do you need mm-hmm. a little bit of space? Even just that is yep. enough. Yeah, because what you're showing them is you're, you want to help and sometimes that is enough. And I think um, – you know, I think sometimes we 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 don't call, we pull back because we're worried we're going to do it imperfectly. But I think anyone would appreciate an imperfect effort as opposed yeah. to what can be seen as as no effort at all. Or I guess, which is wouldn't be. I'm sure these people people were well intended, but um, but probably just driven by fear. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that before that it is quite lonely because when it does happen. There is that immediate like outpouring and then everyone else gets on with their lives and it's a month later and you're still dealing with the grief, but people have moved on. Yeah. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't definitely don't hold any kind of resentment towards anybody in these situations, mm. but it's stuff that I, I know now to navigate differently with others as well. So mm. another one is, um, yeah, I had, yeah just had somebody say to me the other day, like, now that it's been six months and, you know, the shock of it has all died down, like, how are you doing now that you're not in that kind of space anymore? And Mm. I thought that was really interesting because I was like, oh, no, I'm still in it. I'm Mm. still in it. So don't put any sort of timeline. That's for the person grieving and for the people outside of themselves. Like, don't even hint at there being any timeline to grief because it's it's so, it's so, time doesn't exist when you're grieving. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, and I guess inherent within that is a hierarchy of values, which is to move through it quickly is better. Like get through your grief, get on the other side. It's a process that you can, you know, you climb up the ladder of the five stages and you get to the other side and it's like, you know, it is perfectly fine and beautiful to stay exactly as you are for 15 years. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. as long as you're moving through it, right? As long as you're feeling that, as long as mm. you're with it, yeah. Mm. And I remember catching up with you a few months ago, I think, and um, you said something beautifully profound. Which you know, I said, "How are you?" And you said something to the effect of, "I've never felt more alive. I've never felt more connected. I've never felt more in love. I've never felt. I've never felt more." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It can be this really potent, intense space and portal that you're in, where everything is so sensitive and raw, but so real and honest and just alive. And you have to be so deeply present in that, or you are. You don't have to be. You just are. Mm. Everything's so alive for you in that moment. 
Mm. Yeah, I don't remember saying that, but now that you mentioned, I, like, yeah, <laughs> I remember that space. Yeah, now I'm quite yeah. a bit more tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> and I think as well, you know, you mentioned before with being the tapped out, and you know, you're not always this like present journaling talking person. I think that's so important to have that balance of of leaning into it doesn't mean leaning into it 24 seven. Yeah, it's like leaning into it when the waves come up, and then giving yourself the fucking time and space to go and rest from what it is that you went and just felt like yes I am kind of related a little bit of a sidestep I remember being in this like very spiritual place and my I was always reading listening to podcasts journaling talking like I was probably very annoying to be around just like like really (laughs) hyper focused on this one thing and my therapist just said to me like yes be this spiritual self but also just be human Mm. and like go and watch the Kardashians or something like give yourself space to be yes switched on but also switched off yeah yeah because the nervous system rests in that space where you're just fedged out we need that if we're doing the work especially we need to veg out and to mm. binge watch some trash television mm. us like spiritual yogi hippies need it more than anybody else sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I mean absolutely I think it's um you know the other side of hard work is not just rest it is rest but i think on top of that it's play yeah you know that sometimes we don't need to be so hyper focused and intense i mean sometimes we do but actually what is going to allow us to do that to the fullest extent is to go and fill those batteries up with the opposite sometimes it's a deep sleep and it's some trashy tv um sometimes it's something really creative and very different maybe that's mm. learning how to surf it's I don't know, going skateboarding or playing like video games with your partner or something, something that's just, it's using a part of your mind and it's very switched on, but for no other purpose than it feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. What have your um, rest and play activities been? This is, this is, um, this is like a little admission. Um, So I, I've never been a video game. Never, never, never. Um, I've always felt like I don't want to live inside of what's happening on my screen. Not that there's a problem. I mean, I scroll, I, you know, scroll whole regularly. So that's doing that, I guess, to a certain extent, but um, yeah, (laughs) but my guilty pleasure when it comes to the world of video gaming is Animal Crossing. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I have no idea what it is, but I'm excited. It's for you to just tell like me. <laughs> super cute, super satisfying. You're this like cute little character that lives with all these little animal beings, and you get to create a little world for yourself. And so mm. I don't touch it because I love it so much. And I just go into it and I make my cute little world. And I'm like, there's cliffs and waterfalls, and it's so beautiful. Um, and so I purposely put that away so I can live my life. But after mm. losing dad, that was sitting there. It, it my um, Jesse and my parents had bought that as a collective gift for me a few years ago and they're like play enjoy yourself and I'm like no stop it like I will not it sucks (laughs) too much of my time and energy no um but after losing dad that has become such a safe little happy space for me to just veg out and make my little world and have my satisfying little objects in it um yeah and it's it's also been like a creative space but Mm. a way that I'm creating where I'm not like pushing myself to you know do my paintings or my jewelry creation or my illustration, which can in itself be 
quite an intense process. It's just like a veg out on the couch in my PJs and play this little thing. So mm. that's my main, <laughs> mm. that's my main thing. If it's like not lying in the sunshine on the grass or something, which is premium veg out time. Um, yeah, that's how I tap out. I play Animal yeah. Crossing. <laughs> no, and that, do you know what? That makes so much sense where you can create this dream world. You have complete control of it. Yeah. It's all joy. It's all happiness. It's a place that you can go. And it's, and in that world, you are not you in your current form with what you're holding. And it's, it is so nice that you have a space where you can almost just step out of your life for a moment, take a break and recharge so that when you do step back in, that when you do go back, you do so with a little more energy maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we tap out of our lives um, and that's fine so long as we come back. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a sense of clarity that I do get from speaking through this. I always dip into this space where I start trembling and my gut yep. starts doing the thing and I'm like, oh, here it is. Yeah. But I breathe and I speak and I sit and it settles. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm grateful. I'm really, really grateful for this space and this conversation and this opportunity to process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so grateful that you're so open to sharing. I know that it's not comfortable. Like you said, there's that trembling sensation, you know, but again, it's just you turning towards and, and sharing. So I'm really, I'm really grateful. Um, I wanted to wrap this up. I'm wrapping up all my podcasts by asking everyone one question, but I'm still not like set on the question. I don't know if I love it yet. So I'm still like asking all my guests, like if you have a better question, I'm open to suggestions. (laughs) But for now, I would love to know, given that life is happening not to you but for you, what is one thing that life has shown you lately about yourself? I think, no, I don't think. I know that I'm supported, that I'm really held and supported. I think I've spent a lot of my life feeling like a typical radical Aquarian, misunderstood, I don't fit in anywhere and nobody can really hold me, but I feel so beautifully witnessed and held. Yeah, it's simple, but it means the world to know Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that I feel cozy within my community. Oh, I love that. Held by who? Is it? Are we talking about specific people? Are we talking about the universe? The like? What do you mean by? I mean, I know what you mean by held, but I would love to know by who. Yeah, I mean, just all of it—the world, Mm. the natural world, the universe, the powers that be—but also like the beautiful students that come and go in my life and through my classes and stuff. Like even they, in a certain sense, see me and feel me and connect to me. Um, yeah, and I can take comfort in these connections. I can feel plugged in. I can mm. I can f- feel plugged in and allow myself to open and soften into those experiences. And then there's my friend and my family mm. and my immediate surroundings and all mm. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. It sounds I feel like you have all of these threads just plugged into so many different parts of your life, hence feeling so held. Yeah. Feeling so supported. And so connected. Um, I would love to know, and this might land, it might not, but if someone was listening to this who is in somewhere in the process of grief, whether it's 
right at the beginning, whether it's 20 years down the road, um, is there something that you would think is worth sharing with them that you would like to? Yeah, I'd say a couple things. Um, the first relates to what I shared, which is allow yourself to be held. Um, the grieving space can be really confusing and complex and coming from the suicide specific grieving space, it's its own little subcategory of existence. It's its own little world, but as hard as it feels at times, you can find support. It doesn't have to be professional and it doesn't have to be, look. it doesn't have to look a certain way. And you can also ask somebody to help you find a certain kind of support, um, if that makes sense. And the second thing is to, if you're moving through something really heavy, if you're deep in the grieving process, please allow yourself to experience joy and pleasure. The be- one of the best things I did for myself relatively early on was take a little trip to fly up to the sunny coast and visit one of my soul sisters and just be in waterfalls and forests. And that was joy. And that was so, so, so supportive. I could have had the narrative of, I'm leaving behind everybody else who's grieving and mm-hmm. I should be taking care of this person and that person and I shouldn't be enjoying myself, but I didn't I didn't hold any of that and it was one of the best things I did, not only for myself but for everyone around me as well because I came back mm-hmm. charged up. Mm-hmm. I mean, joy is such a powerful uh, antidote to that that feeling of happiness, even if it's joy for like a second. Yeah. You know, if there's a funny joke on the office that you find yourself laughing at, you know, you don't need to go back and say, you don't deserve to laugh. Remember, yeah. you're in grief. You yeah. can feel it all. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm so grateful for you. Um, and I'm so grateful for this. Um, if people want to find you, where can they connect with you? Uh, you can find me via social media, Danica Venus, mm-hmm. my website, Danica Venus, my podcast, Cosmic Conduits. Um, yeah, I'm easy to find. And you can come to my classes. You can come say hi. Don't ever be afraid to reach out to any capacity. Yeah. I'm always here for all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Danny teach together at This Is Yoga. And I um, I just know your class would be so juicy and delicious and full of mobility drills. Yes. Yeah, because you know that's how I like it. That's why I come that's to how, your classes. Because anytime I do mobility <laughs> stuff, I'm like, she's going to love this shit. Yeah. <laughs> and can You're I just say, yeah. can I just say, I'm like, I am a yogi elitist like I am so picky and choosy with whose classes I go to I have no problem saying that but yours I return to time and time again because you are that good so I hope you know that oh no that's so sweet I think teaching um I mean you're a teacher you know this but you just pour everything out and it it always feels good to have to know that that's being received I don't think I'll ever get like sick of of people saying I really enjoyed that class so thank you Thank you. Thank you so much. Alrighty. I'm going to end the recording here. Um, Stop recording. Thank you for listening to the Yogi Therapist Podcast. If you enjoyed what was discussed today, then consider subscribing and leaving a review. Check out the show notes for any additional information about what was covered here today. And you can find me at theyogitherapist.com.au or on Instagram at yogitherapist underscore for more information on me and my therapy. Until next time.